Of course, the, uh, the Trinity is rightly called a mystery, not because we can't understand some things about God, but we can't understand everything about God. So when we say something's a mystery, we don't just give up and say, oh, it's a mystery. You know, we can't understand. So parents, that's not a cop-out. Oh, it's just a mystery. I mean, you can even, you can just ask Google, you know, or, or Siri or Alexa, and, and she'll even tell you. But so it's not a complete unknown that it's a mystery, but that the Holy Spirit, particularly today, the third person of the Trinity is a mystery, is to say we just can't understand everything. So let's look at what we can understand, what we can know, because it's really important to me that a couple things are important with this homily, but, but one of them is that you will at least be able to say something coherent, not that you can't already, but in the event that you can't, that you could say something coherent about who the Holy Spirit is. So, from all of eternity, God exists as a trinity of persons with one nature, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have always existed, right? And the way that we understand the Holy Spirit is, from all of eternity, the Father exists and the Son exists. And because they're perfect, they love each other, and they love each other perfectly, like no human beings could ever love, right? God can love. He loves perfect. Everything he does is perfect. And that bond of love that exists between them is perfect then, of course, as well. And so the bond of love between the Father and the Son is rightly then called the Holy Spirit, the love that exists between the Father and the Son. So the simple answer to, the, to who is the Holy Spirit would be the love of God the love of God. Now that process, uh, here's a theological term for those of you who want more, um, that process of going back and forth, the love that goes back and forth, the theological idea is called spiration. Oh, great. Here he goes with those words. You might think, well, that's, that doesn't, well, think inspiration. All right, it comes from a Latin root, spirare. Inspiration. You know, you can see that that Latin root in all kinds of all kinds of words. But think of then this love that exists, intimate love. Think of it as two lovers. You know, a, a husband and wife, two lovers who love each other so closely that sometimes they even share, it would seem, the same breath. Desiring to be so close to one another, that breath that is that is shared between the two, that intimacy. That's what Holy Spirit, breath of God, love of God is trying to convey, this true intimacy that exists between the Father and the Son. And so when we look at the, the Old Testament, then we have these different uh, revelations of the Holy Spirit. At creation, we hear about the, oh, the Holy Spirit is moving over the waters, right? Because the Blessed Trinity is operative in creation. It's not just something the Father does. It's something the entire Trinity does. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The, the Spirit is there. Think of the creation of, of man and woman. God takes them from the clay and forms them. They're formed physically, but they're not yet human beings until he breathes into their nostrils the breath of life. God creates every human being. 
He creates the soul. And it's the breath of God, the love of God, which creates the human person. The physical is contributed by the parents. They procreate, but they don't create. Technically speaking, only God creates insofar as he takes something from nothing and makes something from it. Human beings fashion out of things already created. I I mean, I know that we can debate about the word, but in a philosophical sense, right? God takes something that didn't exist at all and makes, well, he doesn't take anything if it didn't exist, but he he goes from nothing existing to something existing, the human person itself. He creates the soul. This is why every human person truly and rightly belongs to God. Even children don't belong to parents. They belong to God. So God's breath comes into every single human person, the Holy Spirit. His breath is there for us. All right, so that's sort of that section. There are three parts if you're keeping track so you know when to uh, not lose hope that I'll finish. All right, so that. Now, another aspect of this Holy Spirit um, that is being revealed to us today in the readings, let's look at the gospel, because Jesus gives his spirit to the apostles before Pentecost. It's kind of like another extension of Pentecost, but he bestows on them something very special by this, by this event where he goes to the upper room, they're still locked, they're still afraid, and he breathes on them, which sounds weird. Now it shouldn't, but it, you know, if you read it out of, what does that mean, you know? He breathes on them, weirdo, you know, don't breathe on me, but he breathes on them. Why does he breathe on them? The breath of God, the intimacy of God, the love of God goes out from Jesus and is given to the apostles. Why do they receive this special share? Well, just like Moses of old, when when it became too much for Moses to take care of all of the people, God gave a share of his spirit to other men who would care for the Israelites, care for his people. All right, the new Moses, Jesus, right, um, who is God, gives a share of his self insofar as he is God, and the love that he has, he breathes on, on on the apostles and gives them a special share of the Holy Spirit for their authority. He founds his church on his apostles, There are no other Christians if there are not Catholics first. There are no other Christians if there is not first a Catholic church founded upon the apostles and the bishops with the Eucharist, all of it set in place right away in the first century and instituted by Christ. And so he breathes on them, gives them authority. And then what did they do? They acted like they received the authority. That's how they acted. New Testament uh, extra biblical sources, historical sources, that's what they did. They received this special authority from God to lead his church. They believed that that's what Jesus Christ, Jesus God had given them. All right, that's the second one. We're on to three. How's my time? As you know, I put a clock up here. It has not been helpful because I usually never look at it, but now I'm looking at it and I'm going way too fast, so I'm gonna slow down and take my time. All right, third point is this. Now, we heard this reading last night because the readings for Pentecost Vigil and Pentecost Day are different. 
But I want to circle back to it. See if you remember. The prophet Ezekiel. Now, the prophet Ezekiel lived at a time when the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had, had basically enslaved the, the Israelites. They're in slavery once more and taken them off to to Babylon. And why would you do that? Well, you would do that to basically erase a culture. You would, you would essentially get them to assimilate into your culture, and then everybody would become Babylonian. And so the Jews very well knew what kind of threat their culture was, was under at this time as they're in captivity. And they're lamenting this. I mean, if you go back and you read uh, the Old Testament, they, they, of course, are lamenting this greatly, and they're, they're incredibly sad and, and wondering when God is going to come for them. When is God going to fix this? When is God going to show up? When is he going to deliver us? He promised that he would be our God. Where is he? And so here's Ezekiel, and he receives this vision of this field of bones, skeletons. And we're told that he looks out upon this vast area of dried up bones and, of course, looks like death. It's their culture. It's their, it's their, their entire way of life. Their, the covenant that they have with God is as though it is dead. And God tells him, preach to these bones Breathe on these bones. Breathe the word of God onto these bones. And he gets this vision then. So he does it. He gets this vision of these bones, you know, the sinews coming back on, the muscles coming, the skin being remade, and basically these skeletons being brought back to life. And this tells us something, of course, about what the Holy Spirit does. It animates. It brings to life. It fills the hearts of believers. So Jesus Christ, who is here physically, could not be physically present to everyone at the same time. But if he ascends to heaven and sends the very love that exists between himself and the Father, now God himself can dwell within every single believer at the same time. Now God can be widespread, just like we took this Easter candle and, and it was the only you know, candle lit at the Easter vigil is dark outside and everybody had their little candles and everybody, you know, took a, a flame, a share of, of this one flame and everybody had the same flame, their, their own flame, just as big, just as bright, you know, just as warm, just, just as hot, etc. Because the, the fire, which is such a, such a good representation of the Holy Spirit, even, even in, the, in the Acts of the Apostles, right? The the flame comes down, tongues of fire upon, upon the heads of all the believers. The, the flame is not diminished and can be shared and spread. I was thinking of a, another, I was in the kitchen yesterday afternoon thinking of a, another example of this. And I looked, you know how everybody has one of those sponges up at the, just this nasty dried up sponge up on the sink and... <laughs> You know, just sitting there. And you know that you can grab it, and, but you can't really use it, you know. And it, I mean, when it's dry, it just doesn't, it's just dried up. It's just dried up and crusty. But you put it under the water, and it's like magic. It just comes to life. It's nourished. Itself is nourished, becomes potent, 
because of the water that comes into it. And now it becomes useful. Now it becomes, you know, something that, that we can use and, and, and has some value and utility. I think of, of that, you know, the, the bones coming to life and, or a sponge. You can think of any number of other examples. The Holy Spirit animates us, nourishes us. I mean, how many times have we felt like a dried up sponge or, you know, dusty bones or just not because we're old necessarily, but just because life has become a lot and sometimes it becomes too much or our fears or our anxieties or worries, you know, about the world and any number of things. And we look out and we think, you know, okay, I love my kids. I love my family, but this is hard. I love, you know, my faith. I love, but this is really, really hard. How do I move forward in my suffering, in my sacrifice, in my day-to-day? The Holy Spirit can animate us, fill us, and nourish us with his presence to continue to move forward. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The breath of God, the love of God, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit to move forward, to walk forward, and not just stumble forward, but move forward with strength and courage and power. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? The sacraments and simply asking. Holy, because if you've received the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is there, perhaps latent and not active because we have chosen not to sort of activate what's present. Call upon the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me power. Give me strength. Give me courage to move forward in fidelity to you, to the Blessed Trinity. And he will show up. He always does. Please stand.